Book One, Chapter Three of the New Republic by William Hurrell Maddock. Recording by phone. Lawrence, though he had forewarned his guests of his menu before they left the drawing room, yet felt a little anxious when they sat down to dinner, for he found it not altogether easy to get the conversation started. Lady Ambrose, who was the first to speak, began somewhat off the point. "'What a charming change it is, Mr. Lawrence,' she said, "'to look out on the sea when one is dressing, instead of across South Audley Street.' "'Hush,' said Lawrence softly, with a grave, reproving smile. "'Really,' said Lady Ambrose, "'I beg your pardon. I thought Dr. Jenkinson had said grace.' "'If he has,' said Lawrence, it is very good of him for i am afraid he was not asked but what i mean is that you must only talk of what is on the cards so be good enough to look at your menu and devote your attention to the aim of life really this is much too alarming said lady ambrose how is one to talk at so short a notice on a subject one has never thought about before why to do so said lawrence is the very art of conversation for in that way one's ideas spring up fresh like young roses that have all the dew on them instead of having been kept drying for half a lifetime between the leaves of a book so do set a good example and begin or else we shall never be started at all and my pet plan will turn out a fiasco there was indeed as lawrence said this something very near complete silence all round the table it was soon broken are you high church or low church was a question suddenly uttered in a quick eager girl's voice by miss prattle a young lady of eighteen to the astonishment of the whole company it was addressed to dr jenkinson who was sitting next to her had a pin been run into the doctor's leg he could not have looked more astounded or given a greater start he eyed his fair questioner for some time in complete silence can you tell me the difference he said at last in a voice of considerable good humour yet with just a touch of sharpness in it i think said miss merton who was sitting on the other side of him that my card is a little different i have the aim of life on mine and so i believe has everybody else well said the doctor laughing let us ask miss prattle what is her aim in life thank heaven said lawrence dr jenkinson has begun i hope we shall all now follow lawrence's hope was not in vain the conversation soon sprang up everywhere and the company though in various humours took most of them very kindly to the solemn topic that had been put before them mr luke who was sitting by mrs sinclair was heard in a loudish voice saying that his own favourite muse had always been erato mr rose had taken a crimson flower from a vase on the table and looking at it himself with a grave regard was pointing out its infinite and passionate beauties to the ladies next to him and mr stockton was explaining that the alps looked grander and the sky bluer than ever to those who truly realized the atomic theory 
no one indeed was silent except mr herbert and mr storks the former of whom smiled rather sadly whilst the latter looked about him with an inquisitorial frown lawrence was delighted with the state of things and surveyed the table with great satisfaction while his attention was thus engaged lady ambrose turned to leslie and began asking him if he had been in town much this season she was taken with his look and wished to find out if he would really be a nice person to like please interposed lawrence pleadingly do try and keep to the point please lady ambrose i want to find out mr leslie's aim in life by asking him where he has been she answered i have been in a great many places said leslie but not to pursue any end only to try and forget that i had no end to pursue this is a very sad state of things said lady ambrose i can always find something to do except when i am quite alone or in the country when the house is empty and even then i can make occupation i draw or read a book or teach my little boy some lessons but come what do you think is the real aim of life since that is what i must ask him is it not mr lawrence don't ask me said leslie i told you i hadn't a notion and i don't suppose we any of us have that can't be true said lady ambrose for just listen how everyone is talking i wish we could hear what they are saying you might learn something then perhaps mr leslie since you are so very ignorant it happened that as lady ambrose said this the conversation suddenly flagged and lawrence took advantage of the lull to ask if any satisfactory conclusions had been come to during the past five minutes because we up here he said are very much in the dark and want to be enlightened yes said mr storks gruffly has any one found out what is the aim of life as he said this he looked about him defiantly as though all the others were butterflies that he could break if he chose upon his wheel his eye at last lit upon mr saunders who considering this a challenge to himself immediately took up the gauntlet the young man spoke with the utmost composure and as his voice was high and piercing everybody could hear him the aim of life he said adjusting his spectacles is progress what is progress interrupted dr jenkinson coldly without looking at mr saunders and as though any answer to his question was the last thing he expected progress replied mr saunders slowly has been found like poetry somewhat hard to define very true said the doctor dryly and looking straight before him his accents were of so freezing a sharpness that he seemed to be stabbing mr saunders with an icicle mr saunders however was apparently quite unwounded but i he continued with the utmost complacency have discovered a definition which will i think meet with general acceptance there is nothing original in it it is merely an abstract of the meaning of all our great liberal thinkers 
progress is such improvement as can be verified by statistics just as education is such knowledge as can be tested by examinations that i conceive is a very adequate definition of the most advanced conception of progress and to persuade people in general to accept this is at present one of the chief duties of all earnest men entirely true said mr herbert with ironical emphasis an entirely true definition of progress as our age prizes it mr saunders was delighted and imagining he had made a disciple he turned to mr herbert and went on for just let us he said compare a man with a gorilla and see in what the man's superiority lies it is evidently not in the man's ideas of god and so forth for in his presumable freedom from these the gorilla is the superior of the man but in the hard and verifiable fact that the man can build houses and cotton mills whereas the highest monkey can scarcely make the rudest approach to a hut but can you tell me said mr herbert supposing men some day come to a state in which no more of this progress is possible what will they do then mr mill whom in almost all things i reference as a supreme authority said mr saunders asked himself that very question but the answer he gave himself was one of the few things in which i ventured to dissent from him for when all the greater evils of life shall have been removed he thinks the human race is to find its chief enjoyment in reading wordsworth's poetry indeed said mr herbert and did mill come to any conclusion so sane as that i on the contrary believe mr saunders went on that as long as the human race lasts it will still have some belief in god left in it and that the eradication of this will afford an unending employment to all enlightened minds leslie looked at lady ambrose expecting to see her smile on the contrary she was very grave and said i think this is shocking well said lawrence in a soothing tone to her it is only the way of these young men in times of change like ours besides he is very young he has only just left oxford if these irreligious views are to be picked up at oxford said lady ambrose i shall be obliged to send my little boy when he grows up to cambridge and for what you say about times of change i am not a conservative as you know indeed i quite go in for reform as my husband does but i don't think religion ought to be dragged into the matter well said lawrence let us listen to what lord allen is saying he is sure said lady ambrose not to say anything but what is nice allen was speaking in a low tone but his voice was so clear that lady ambrose was quite able to hear him to me it seems he was saying blushing a little as he found suddenly how many people were listening to him that the aim of life has nearly always been plain enough in a certain way always and for all men indeed said mr saunders raising his eyebrows 
yes said allen slightly turning towards him and raising his voice somewhat it has been i think as a single magnet acting on all though upon many by repulsion it is quite indescribable in words but there are two things by which you can tell a man's truth to it a faith in god and a longing for a future life lord allen exclaimed mr herbert and the sound of his voice made every one at once a listener that is very beautifully put and it is indeed quite true as you say that the real significance of life must be for ever indescribable in words but in the present day i fear also that for most of us it is not even thinkable in thought the whole human race he went on in measured melancholy accents is now wandering in an accursed wilderness which not only shows us no hilltop whence the promised land may be seen but which to most of the wanderers seems a promised land itself and they have a god of their own too who engages now to lead them out of it if they will only follow him who for visible token of his godhead leads them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night the cloud being the black smoke of their factory chimneys and the fire the red glare of their blast furnaces and so effectual are these modern divine guides that if we were standing on the brink of jordan itself we should be utterly unable to catch through the fire and smoke one single glimpse of the sunlit hills beyond mr herbert said these last words almost fiercely and they were followed by a complete hush it was almost directly broken by mr rose to me he said raising his eyebrows wearily and sending his words floating down the table in a languid monotone mr herbert's whole metaphor seems misleading i rather look upon life as a chamber which we decorate as we would decorate the chamber of the woman or the youth that we love tinting the walls of it with symphonies of subdued colour and filling it with works of fair form and with flowers and with strange scents and with instruments of music and this can be done now as well better rather than at any former time since we know that so many of the old aims were false and so ceased to be distracted by them we have learned the weariness of creeds and know that for us the grave has no secrets we have learned that the aim of life is life and what does successful life consist in simply said mr rose speaking very slowly and with a soft solemnity in the consciousness of exquisite living in the making our own each highest thrill of joy that the moment offers us be it some touch of colour on the sea or on the mountains the early dew in the crimson shadows of a rose the shining of a woman's limbs in clear water or here unfortunately a sound of sh broke softly from several mouths mr rose was slightly disconcerted and a pause that would have been a little awkward seemed imminent lawrence to prevent this 
did the first thing that occurred to him and hastily asked dr jenkinson what his view of the matter was the doctor's answer came in his very sharpest voice do any of us know what life is he said hadn't we better find that out first life continued mr rose who had now recovered himself is a series of moments and emotions and a series of absurdities too very often said dr jenkinson life is a solemn mystery said mr storks severely life is a damned nuisance muttered leslie to himself but just loud enough to be heard by lady ambrose who smiled at him with a sense of humour that won his heart at once life is matter mr storks went on which under certain conditions not yet fully understood has become self-conscious lord allen has just been saying that it is the preface to eternity said mr saunders only unfortunately said lawrence it is a preface that we cannot skip and the dedication is generally made to the wrong person all our doubts on this matter said mr saunders are simply due to that dense pestiferous fog of crazed sentiment that still hides our view but which the present generation has sternly set its face to dispel and conquer science will drain the marshy grounds of the human mind so that the deadly malaria of christianity which has already destroyed two civilizations shall never be fatal to a third i should rather have thought said mrs sinclair in her soft clear voice and casting down her eyes thoughtfully that passion and feeling were the real heart of the matter and that religion of some sort was an ingredient in all perfect passion there are seeds of feeling in every soul but these will never rise up into flowers without some culture will they mr luke and this culture is surely she said dreamily the work of love who was the gardener of the soul and of religion the undergardener acting as love bids it ah yes said mr luke looking compassionately about him culture mrs sinclair is quite right for without culture we can never understand christianity and christianity whatever the vulgar may say of it is the key to life and is co-extensive with it lady ambrose was charmed with this sentiment quite so mr luke i quite agree with you she said in her most cordial manner but i wish you would tell me a little more about culture i am always so much interested in those things culture said mr luke is the union of two things fastidious taste and liberal sympathy these can only be gained by wide reading guided by sweet reason and when they are gained lady ambrose we are conscious as it were of a new sense which at once enables us to discern the eternal and the absolutely righteous wherever we find it whether in an epistle of st paul's or in a comedy of menander's it is true that culture sets aside the larger part of the new testament as grotesque 
barbarous and immoral but what remains purged of its apparent meaning it discerns to be a treasure beyond all price and in christianity such christianity i mean as true taste can accept culture sees the guide to the real significance of life and the explanation mr luke added with a sigh of that melancholy which in our day is attendant upon all clear sight but why said allen if you know so well what life's meaning is need you feel this melancholy at all ah said mr luke it is from this very knowledge that the melancholy i speak of springs we the cultured we indeed see but the world at large does not it will not listen to us it thinks we are talking nonsense surely that is enough to sadden us then too our ears are perpetually being pained and deafened by the din of the two opposing philistinisms science and orthodoxy both equally vulgar and equally useless but the masses cannot see this it is impossible to persuade some that science can teach them nothing worth knowing and others that the dogmatic utterances of the gospels are either ignorant mistakes or oriental metaphors don't you find this jenkinson he added addressing the doctor across the table in a loud mournful voice lawrence said the doctor apparently not hearing the question haven't we talked of this quite long enough town and country let us go on to that or else we shall be getting very much behindhand these words of the doctor's caused a rapid change in the conversation and as it appeared impossible to agree as to what the aim of life was most turned eagerly to the simpler question of where it might be best attained at first there seemed to be a general sense on all sides that it was a duty to prefer the country there the voices of nature spoke to the soul more freely the air was purer and fresher the things in life that were really valuable were more readily taken at their true worth foolish vanities and trivial cares were less likely to degrade the character one could have flowers one could listen to the music of birds and rivers a country house was more comfortable than a town one and few prospects were so charming as an english park but the voice of mr saunders was soon heard proclaiming that progress was almost entirely confined to towns and that the modern liberal could find little scope for action in the country if he does anything there mr saunders said he can only make his tenants more comfortable and contented and that is simply attaching them more to the existing order of things indeed even now as matters stand the healthy rustic with his fresh complexion and honest eye is absolutely incapable of appreciating the tyranny of religion and society but the true liberal is undeceived by his pleasing exterior and sees a far nobler creature in the pale narrow-chested operative of the city who at once responds to the faintest cry of insurgence slight causes often produce large results 
and these utterances of mr saunders turned the entire torrent of opinion into a different channel mr luke who had a moment before been talking about liberal air and sedged brooks and meadow grass now admitted that one's country neighbours were sure to be narrow-minded sectarians and that it was better to live amongst cultured society even under a london fog than to look at all the splendour of provincial sunsets in company with a parson who could talk of nothing but his parishioners and justification by faith others too followed in the same direction and the verdict of the majority soon seemed to be that except in a large country house country life though it might be very beautiful was still very tiresome but the voice of mr saunders was again heard during a pause laying it down that no true liberal could ever care to live in the country now and lady ambrose who highly disapproved of him and his views in general saw here a fitting opportunity for contradicting him asserting that though she and her husband were both advanced liberals yet the pleasantest part of their year was that spent upon their moor in scotland and then too she added turning to lawrence i am devoted to our place in gloucestershire and i would not miss for anything such things as my new dairy and my cottages with the old women in them and yet said lawrence smiling sir george would never go near the place if it were not for the shooting indeed he would said lady ambrose a little indignantly he likes the life so much and is so fond of his gardens and greenhouses and-but she was here interrupted by mr herbert who mistaking the sir george ambrose mentioned for another baronet of the same name a gentleman of very old but impoverished catholic family broke in as follows somewhat to the consternation of lady ambrose whose husband was a great cotton-spinner of the most uncertain origin sir george he said is as i know well an entirely honest gentleman of ancient lineage he is indeed a perfectly beautiful type of what the english squire properly ought to be for he lives upon his own land and among his own people and is a complete and lovely example to them of a life quite simple indeed but in the highest sense loyal noble and orderly but what is one amongst so many to most of his own order sir george ambrose appears merely as a madman because he sees that it is altogether a nobler thing for a man to be brave and chivalrous than it is to be fashionable and because he looks forward on his dying day to remembering the human souls that he has saved alive rather than the pheasants that he has shot dead now the husband of lady ambrose being known to most present for his magnificent new country house his immense preserves and his yacht of four hundred tons that never went out of the solent there was naturally some wonder excited by mr herbert's words since the thought of any other sir george never came for an instant into any one's head lady ambrose herself was in utter amazement she could not tell what to make of it and she was as near looking confused as she had ever been in her life 
the awkwardness of the situation was felt by many and to cover it a hum of conversation sprang up with forced alacrity but this did not make matters much better for in a very short time mr herbert's voice was again audible uttering words of no measured denunciation against the great landowners of england who were once he said in some true sense a nobility but are now the portentousest ignobility that the world ever set eyes upon every one felt that this was approaching dangerous ground nor were they at all reassured when mr herbert who was it appeared quoting from a letter which he had received he said that morning from the greatest of modern thinkers concluded amidst a complete silence with the following passage yes here they come with coats of the newest fashion with pedigrees of the newest forging with their moors in scotland with their rivers in norway with their game preserves in england with some thousands of human beings calling them masters somewhere they probably forget where and with the mind of a thinking man or with the heart of a gentleman nowhere here they come our cotton-spinning plutocrats bringing in luxury and vulgarity and damnation these last words came like a thunderclap lawrence hardly knew where to look the result however was more satisfactory than could have been expected there are some emotions as we all know that can be calmed best by tears lady ambrose did not cry she did something better she laughed what would poor sir george say she whispered to lawrence he is fishing in norway at this very moment but do you really think she went on being resolved not to shirk the subject that society is really as bad as mr herbert says i was looking into the comte de grammont's memoirs the other day and i am sure nothing goes on in london now so bad as what he describes do you know lady ambrose said mr herbert who concluded that he had given her much pleasure by his late remarks i think the state of london at the present day infinitely worse than anything grammont or his biographer could have dreamt of quite so said mr luke the bulk of men in our days are just as immoral as they were in charles the second's the only difference is that they are incomparably more stupid and that instead of decking their immorality with the jewels of wit they clumsily try to cover with with the tarpaulin of respectability this has not made the immorality any the better it has only made respectability the most contemptible word in the english language the fop of charles's time said leslie aimed at seeming a wit and a scholar the fop of ours aims at being a fool and a dunce yes said mr herbert society was diseased then it is true and the marks of disease disfigured and scarred its features still in spite of this it had some sound life left in it but now the entire organism is dissolving and falling asunder all the parts are refusing to perform their functions 
how indeed could this possibly be otherwise when the head itself the aristocracy the part whose special office is to see and think has now lost completely both its brains and eyes and has nothing head-like left it except the mouth and that cannot so much as speak it can only eat and yawn society you see mr herbert said lady ambrose who felt bound to say something is so much larger now than it was oh said lawrence shrugging his shoulders in that sense i really think there is almost no society now i don't see how there can be said miss merton when what is called society is simply one great scramble after fashion and fashion is such a delicate fruit that it is sure to be spoiled if it is scrambled for i am glad said lawrence you don't abuse fashion as some people do i look on it as the complexion of good society and as the rouge of bad and when society gets sickly and loses its complexion it takes the rouge as it is doing now and the rouge eats into its whole system and makes its health worse than ever you are the last person mr lawrence said lady ambrose you who go out so much that i should have expected to hear talking against society like that ah said lawrence we cannot escape from our circumstances i only wish we could i go into the best society i can get but i am not blind to the fact that it is very bad of course there are a number of the most delightful people in it i am not denying that for a moment but not only is society not made up out of a few of its parts but even the best parts suffer from the tone of the whole and taking society as a whole i honestly doubt if it was ever at any time so generally bad as it is now i am not saying that it has forgotten its duties that it cannot even conceive that it ever had any that is of course quite true but mr herbert has said that already i am not complaining of its moral badness but of its social badness of its want of practical skill in life as a fine art a want that it often feels itself and yet has not the skill to remedy think for a moment how barbarous are its amusements how little culture there is in its general tone how incapable it is of any enlightened interest really said mr stockton i think you are doing society a great injustice it seems to me that enlightened interest is the very thing that is everywhere on the spread the light of intellect is emerging from the laboratory and the dissecting-room where it had its birth and is gilding with its clear rays the dinner-table and even the ballroom a freer a truer and a grander view of things seems to me to be rapidly dawning on the world i fear my dear sir said mr luke that these pleasing opinions of yours will not bear testing do you mean said mr stockton that society as a rule is not infinitely better informed now than it was thirty years ago has it not infinitely fewer prejudices and infinitely more knowledge 
we should look to the effects of the knowledge not to the knowledge itself said mr luke we cannot test the health of a society from looking over its examination papers in physical science how would you test it said mr stockton with a slight curl of the lip there are many tests said mr luke here is one amongst the very subject that mr lawrence has ordered us to talk about art and literature i accept the test said mr stockton what then can be nobler than much modern poetry there are some that i look upon as quite of the highest order when i spoke of our literature said mr luke loftily i was not thinking of poetry we have no poetry now indeed said mr stockton i imagined you had written some yourself ah exclaimed mr luke drawing a long sigh i once knew what goethe calls the divine worth of tone and tears but my own poems only prove the truth of what i say they could only have been written in evil days they were simply a wail of pain and now that i am grown braver i keep silence poetry in some ages is an expression of the best strength in an age like ours it is the disguise of the worst weakness or when not that it is simply a forced plant an exotic no mr stockton i was not speaking of our poetry but of the one kind of imaginative literature that is the natural growth of our own day the novel now the novel itself is a plant which when it grows abundantly and alone you may be sure it is a sign of a poor soil but don't trust to that only look at our novels themselves and see what sort of life it is they image the trivial interests the contemptible incidents the absurdity of the virtuous characters the viciousness of the characters who are not absurd spain was in some ways worse in cervantes time than england is in ours but you may search all our novels for one character that has one tithe of don quixote's heroism for one of our sane men that breathed in so healthy and pure an atmosphere as the inspired madman and this is not from want of ability on the novelist's part some of them have powers enough and to spare but the best novels only reflect back more clearly the social anarchy and the bad ones are unconscious parts of it and as for our painting said mr herbert that reflects even more clearly than our literature our hideous and our hopeless degradation the other day when i walked through the royal academy my mind was literally dazzled by the infernal glare of corruption and vulgarity that was flashed upon me from every side there were indeed only two pictures in the whole collection that were not entirely abominable and these were one of them three boulders in the island of sark the other a study of pebbles on the beach at ilfracon i know little about the technicalities of art said mr stockton so i will not presume to dispute this point with you well said leslie here is another test quite as good as art and literature 
love and money and their relations in our days he would have continued speaking but mr herbert allowed him no time the very things he said i was about to touch upon the very things the pictures the other day suggested to me for seeing how the work of the painter becomes essentially vile so soon as it becomes essentially venal i was reminded of the like corruption of what is far more precious than the work of any painter our own english girls who are prepared for the modern marriage market on precisely the same principles as our pictures for the royal academy there is but one difference the work of the modern painter is vile from its very beginning in its conception and execution alike but our girls we receive in the first instance entirely fair and sacred from the hands of god himself clothed upon with a lovelier vesture than any lilies of the field really whispered lady ambrose to lawrence providence has done so very little for us as far as vesture goes and we mr herbert went on with unspeakable profanity presume to dress and to decorate them till the heavenly vesture is entirely hidden thinking like a modern simon magus that the gifts of god are to be purchased for money and not caring to perceive that if they are to be purchased with the devil's money we must first convert them into the devil's gifts yes said mrs sinclair with a faint smile the day for love matches is quite gone over now but her words were drowned by mr saunders who exclaimed at the top of his voice and in a state of great excitement electric telegraphs railways steam printing presses let me beg of you to consider the very next subject set for us riches and civilization and to judge of the present generation by the light of that i have considered them said mr herbert for the last thirty years and with inexpressible melancholy i conceive said mr saunders that you are somewhat singular in your feelings i am replied mr herbert and that in most of my opinions and feelings i am singular is a fact fraught for me with the most ominous significance yet how could i who think that health is more than wealth and who hold it a more important thing to separate right from wrong than to identify men with monkeys how could i hope to be anything but singular in a generation that deliberately and with its eyes open prefers a cotton-mill to a titian i hold it said mr saunders to be one of the great triumphs of our day that it has so subordinated all the vaguer and more lawless sentiments to the solid guidance of sober economical considerations and not only do i consider a cotton-mill but i consider even a good sewer to be a far nobler and a far holier thing for holy in reality does but mean healthy than the most admired madonna ever painted a good sewer said mr herbert is i admit an entirely holy thing and would all our manufacturers and men of science bury themselves underground and confine their attention to making sewers 
i for one should have little complaint against them and our railways telegraphs gas lamps is the projected channel tunnel nothing in your eyes is it nothing that all the conditions of life are ameliorated that mind is daily pursuing farther its conquest over matter have we much to thank you for said mr herbert that you have saved us from an hour of sea-sickness if in return you give us a whole lifetime of heart-sickness your mind my good sir that you boast of is so occupied in subduing matter that it is entirely forgetful of subduing itself a matter trust me that is far more important and as for your amelioration of the conditions of life that is not civilization which saves a man from the need of exercising any of his powers but which obliges him to exert his noble powers not that which satisfies his lower feelings with the greatest ease but which provides satisfaction for his higher feelings no matter at what trouble other things being equal said mr saunders i apprehend that the generation that travels sixty miles an hour is at least five times as civilized as the generation that travels only twelve but the other things are not equal said mr herbert and the other things by which i suppose you mean all that is really sacred in the life of man have been banished or buried by the very things which we boast of as our civilization that is our own fault said mr saunders not the fault of civilization not so said mr herbert bring up a boy to do nothing for himself make everything easy for him to use your own expression subdue matter for him and that boy will never be able to subdue anything for himself he will be weak in body and a coward in soul precisely said mr saunders and that is really if you look dispassionately at the matter a consummation devoutly to be wished for why do we need our bodies to be strong to overcome obstacles why do we need to be brave to attack enemies but by and by when all our work is done by machinery and we have no longer any obstacles to overcome or any hardships to endure strength will become useless and bravery dangerous and my own hope is that both will have ere long vanished and that weakness and cowardice qualities which we now so irrationally despise will have vindicated their real value by turning universal civilization into universal peace yes said mr herbert that is exactly what the modern world is longing for a universal peace which never can nor will mean anything else than peace with the devil really said lady ambrose to leslie do you think we are in such a bad way as all this dr jenkinson i must ask you you always know these things do you think we are so very bad yes yes said the doctor turning towards her with a cheerful smile there is a great deal that is very bad in our own days very bad indeed 
many thoughtful people think that there is more that is bad in the present than there has ever been in the past many thoughtful people in all days have thought the same whenever wise men said herbert have taken to thinking about their own times it is quite true that they have always thought ill of them but that is because the times must have gone wrong before the wise men take to the business of thinking about them at all we are never conscious of our constitutions till they are out of order ah yes said mr luke how true that is herbert philosophy may be a golden thing but it is the gold of the autumn woods that soon falls and leaves the bows of the nation naked yes said leslie leaving nothing but bare ruined choirs where late the sweet birds sang thank you mr leslie exclaimed mr herbert across the table thank you an exquisitely apt quotation thank you mr leslie said lady ambrose in a disappointed voice you are one of these desponding people too are you i never heard anything so dismal in my life i certainly think said leslie that our age in some ways could not possibly be worse nobody knows what to believe and most people believe nothing don't you find that indeed i do not said lady ambrose with some vigour and i'm very sorry for those who do that mr saunders she added lowering her voice is the first person i ever heard express such views we were dining only the other day with the bishop of blank and i'll tell you what he said mr leslie he said that the average number of churches built yearly during the last ten years was greater than it had ever been since the reformation that does not look as if religion was on the decline does it i know the bishop spoke of a phase of infidelity that was passing over the nation but that he said would soon have drifted by indeed he told us that all the teachings of modern irreligious science were simply reproductions of you must not laugh at me if i say their names wrong epicurus and democritus which had been long ago refuted and that was no peculiar crotchet of his own mind for a very clever gentleman who was sitting next to me said that that was the very thing which all the bishops agreed in saying almost the only thing indeed in which they did agree ah said leslie materialism once came into the world like a small street boy throwing mud at it and the indignant worlds very soon drove it away but it has now come back again dirtier than ever bringing a big brother with it and heaven knows when we shall get rid of it now in every state of transition said dr jenkinson to miss merton there must always be much uneasiness but i don't think he said with a little pleased laugh that you will find these times really much worse than those that went before them no no if we look at them soberly they are really a great deal better we have already got rid of a vast amount of superstition and ignorance and are learning what christianity really is we are learning true reverence 
that is not to dogmatize about subjects of which we cannot possibly know anything just so jenkinson said mr luke that is the very thing i am trying to teach the world myself personal immortality for instance which forms no part of the sweet secret of authentic christianity yes yes said the doctor hastily the church had degraded the doctrine it needed to be expressed anew of course said miss merton i as a catholic dear dear exclaimed the doctor in some confusion i beg your pardon i had no notion you were a roman catholic i was going to say miss merton went on that though of course as a catholic i am not without what i believe to be an infallible guide i feel just as much as any one the bad state in which things are now it is so difficult to shape one's course in life one has nowhere any work cut out for one there is a want of well she said smiling of what perhaps when religion has been analysed by science will be called moral ozone in the air such a feeling is not unnatural said the doctor but you will find it vanish if you just resolve cheerfully to go on doing the duty next you even if this be only to order dinner and he said turning to her rather abruptly don't despond over the times that only makes them worse besides they are not really at all bad there is no need for desponding at all but there is at least excuse said lawrence when we see all the old faiths the old ideas under which the world has so long found shelter fading like the baseless fabric of a vision rapidly and forever away from us i don't think so said the doctor as if that settled the question christianity said mr stockton is only retiring to make way for something better religions are not quickened unless they perish look forward at the growing brightness of the future not at the faded brightness of the past why not look at the present said dr jenkinson depend upon it it is not wise to be above one's times there's plenty of religion now the real power of christianity is growing every day even where you least expect it in what part of christianity said leslie its real power lies it would be unbecoming in me to profess that i know but this i do know that if you take four out of five of the more thoughtful and instructed men of the day you will find that not only have they no faith in a personal god or a personal immortality but the very notions of such things seem to them absurdities yes said mr herbert it was once thought a characteristic of the lowest savages to be without a belief in a future life it will soon be thought a characteristic of the lowest savages to be with one really now said mr luke in a voice whose tone seemed to beseech every one to be sensible personal immortality and a personal deity are no doctrines of christianity you jenkinson i know you agree with me 
there was nothing the doctor so disliked as these appeals from mr luke he made in this case no response whatever he turned instead to miss merton you see he said to her in a very quiet but judicial way the age we live in is an age of change and in all such ages there must be many things that if we let them will pain and puzzle us but we mustn't let them there have been many ages of change before our time and there are sure to be many after it our age is not peculiar here he paused as he had a way of doing at times between his sentences this practice now as it had often been before was of a disservice to him for it gave a fatal facility for interruption when he could least have wished it in this case leslie entirely put him out by attacking the very statement which the doctor least of all had designed to bear question but in some ways said leslie this age is peculiar surely it is peculiar in the extraordinary rapidity of its changes christianity took three hundred years to supplant polytheism atheism has hardly taken thirty to supplant christianity dr jenkinson did not deign to take the least notice of this i suppose said miss merton to leslie that you think catholicism quite a thing of the past i am afraid said leslie that my opinion on that is of very small importance but however that may be you must admit that in the views of the world at large there have been great changes and these i say have come on us with so astonishing a quickness that they have plunged us into a state of mental anarchy that has not been equalled since mental order has been known there is no recognised rule of life anywhere the old rules only satisfy those who are not capable of feeling the need of any rule at all every one who does right at all only does what is right in his own eyes all society it seems is going to pieces i said mr rose look upon social dissolution as the true condition of the most perfect life for the centre of life is the individual and it is only through dissolution that the individual can re-emerge all the warrings of endless doubts all the questionings of matter and of spirit which i have myself known i value only because remembering the weariness of them i take a profounder and more exquisite pleasure in the colour of a crocus the pulsations of a chord of music or a picture of sandro botticelli's mr rose's words hardly produced all the effect he could have wished for the last part was almost drowned in the general rustle of the ladies rising before we go mr lawrence said lady ambrose will you be good enough to tell me the history of these salt cellars i wanted to have asked you at the beginning of dinner but you made yourself so very appalling then that i really did not venture well said lawrence no doubt they surprise you they were a present made to me the other day by a friend of mine an eminent man of science and are models of a peculiar kind of retort he has invented for burning human bodies and turning them into gas 
good gracious said lady ambrose how horrible i insist mr lawrence on your having another set to-morrow night remember there said lawrence when the gentlemen had resettled themselves and had begun their wine there is the new version of the skeleton at the banquet-board the two handfuls of white dust to which we the salt of the earth shall one day crumble let us sacrifice all the bulls we have to pluto elacrimabilis let us sacrifice ourselves to another or to heaven to this favour we must come is not that so mr storks lawrence said dr jenkinson briskly the conversation hasn't kept pace with the dinner we have got no farther than the present yet the ladies are going to talk of the future by themselves see there they are out on the terrace mr storks here drew his chair to the table and cleared his throat it is easier he said to talk about the present now we are alone now they he nodded his head in the direction of the party outside are gone out to talk about the future in the moonlight there are many things which even yet it does not do to say before women at least before all women my aunt said lawrence is a great authority on woman's education and true position and she has written an essay to advance the female cause indeed said mr storks i was not aware of that i shall look forward with much pleasure to some conversation with her but what i was going to say related to the present which at dinner was on all sides so mercilessly run down i was going to claim for the present age in thought and speculation and it is these that give their tone to its entire conduct of life as its noble and peculiar feature a universal intrepid dogged resolve to find out and face the complete truth of things and to allow no prejudice however dear to us to obscure our vision this is the only real morality and not only is it full of blessing for the future but it is giving us manifold more in this present time as well the work of science you see is twofold it enlarges the horizon of the mind and improves the conditions of the body if you will pardon my saying so mr herbert i think your antipathy to science must be due to your not having fully appreciated its true work and dignity the work of science is i know twofold said mr herbert speculative and practical exactly so said mr storks approvingly and all it can do for us in speculation said mr herbert is to teach us that we have no life hereafter all it can do for us in practice is to ruin our life here it enervates us by providing us with base luxury it degrades us by turning our attention to base knowledge no no said dr jenkinson with one of his little laughs not that i don't think mr storks that mr herbert always quite means what he says we mustn't take him at his word my dear sir said mr herbert turning to the doctor you are a consecrated priest of the mystical church of christ dr jenkinson winced terribly at this 
and let me ask you if you think it is the work of christ to bring into men's minds eternal corruption instead of eternal life or rather not corruption i should say but putrefaction for what is putrefaction but decomposition and at the touch of science all our noblest ideas decompose and putrefy till our whole souls are strewn with dead hopes and dead religions with corpses of all the thoughts we loved quickening slowly into lower forms you may call it analysis but i call it death i wish we could persuade you said mr stockton very temperately to take a fairer view of things surely truth cannot in the long run be anything but life-giving let us take care of facts said mr storks and fictions i beg your pardon religion will take care of itself and religion said mr stockton will take care of itself very well of course we don't waste time now in thinking about personal immortality we shall not live but the mind of man will and religion will live too being part of the mind of man religion is indeed to the inner world what the sky is to the outer it is the mind's canopy the infinite mental azure into which the mysterious source of our being is at once revealed and hidden let us beware then of not considering religion noble but let us beware still more of considering it true we may fancy that we trace in the clouds shapes of real things and as long as we know that this is only fancy i know of no holier occupation for the human mind than such cloud-gazing but let us always recollect that the cloud which to us may seem shaped like a son of man may seem to another to be backed like a weasel and to another to be fairy like a whale what then mr stockton added can be a nobler study than the great book of nature or as we used to call it the works of god pray do not think said mr herbert that i complain of this generation because it studies nature i complain of it because it does not study her yes he went on as he saw mr stockton start you can analyse her in your test-tubes you can spy at her through your microscopes but can you see her with your own eyes or receive her into your own souls you can tell us what she makes her wonders of and how she makes them and how long she takes about it but you cannot tell us what these wonders are like when they are made when god said let there be light and light was and god saw that it was good was he thinking as he saw this of the exact velocity it travelled at and of the exact laws it travelled by which you wise men are at such infinite pains to discover or was he thinking of something else which you take no pains to discover at all of how it clothed the wings of the morning with silver and the feathers of the evening with gold is water think you a nobler thing to the modern chemist who can tell you exactly what gases it is made of and nothing more or to turner who could not tell you at all what it is made of but who didn't know and who could tell you what it is made 
for it is made by the sunshine and the cloud shadow and the storm wind who knew how it paused in the taintless mountain trout pool a living crystal over stones of flickering amber and how it broke itself turbid with its choirs of turbulent thunder when the rocks card it into foam and where the tempest sifts it into spray when pinder called water the best of things was he thinking of it as the union of oxygen hydrogen he would have been much wiser if he had been interposed dr jenkinson thales to whose theory as you know pinder was referring but the doctor's words were utterly unavailing to check the torrent of mr herbert's eloquence they only turned it into a slightly different course ah masters of modern science he went on you can tell us what pure water is made of but thanks to your drains and your mills you cannot tell us where to find it you can no doubt explain to us all about sunsets but the smoke of your towns and your factories has made it impossible for us to see one however each generation is wise in its own wisdom and ours would sooner look at a fetus in a bottle than at the statue of the god apollo from the hand of phidias and in the air of athens during all this speech mr storks had remained with his face buried in his hands every now and then drawing in his breath through his teeth as if he were in pain when it was over he looked up with a scared expression as if he hardly knew where he was and seemed quite unable to utter a syllable of course said mr stockton mere science as science does not deal with moral right and wrong no said mr saunders for it has shown that right and wrong are terms of a bygone age connoting altogether false ideas mere automata as science shows we are clockwork machines wound up by the meat and drink as for that broke in mr storks who had by this time recovered himself and his weighty voice at once silenced mr saunders i would advise our young friend not to be too confident we may be automata or we may not science has not yet decided and upon my word he said striking the table i don't myself care which we are supposing the deity if there be one should offer to make me a machine if i am not one on condition that i should always go right i for one would gladly close with the proposal but you forget said allen that in the moral sense there would be no going right at all if there were not also the possibility of going wrong if your watch keeps good time you don't call it virtuous nor if it keeps bad time do you call it sinful sin lord allen said mr storks is a word that has helped to retard moral and social progress more than anything nothing is good or bad but thinking makes it so and the superstitious and morbid way in which a number of entirely innocent things have been banned as sin has caused more than half the tragedies of the world science will establish an entirely new basis of morality and the sunlight of rational approbation will shine on many a thing hitherto overshadowed by the curse of a hypothetical god exactly so 
exclaimed mr saunders eagerly now i'm not at all that sort of man myself he went on so don't think it because i say this everyone stared at mr saunders in wonder as to what he could mean we think it for instance he said a very sad thing when a girl is as we call it ruined but it is only we really that make all the sadness she is ruined only because we think she is so and i have little doubt that that higher philosophy of the future that mr storks speaks of will go far some day towards solving the great question of women's sphere of action by its recognition of prostitution as an honourable and beneficent profession sir exclaimed mr storks striking the table and glaring with indignation at mr saunders i could hardly have believed that such misplaced flippancy flippancy it is reason truth shrieked mr saunders upsetting his wine-glass luckily this brought about a pause lawrence took advantage of it see he said dr jenkinson has left us will no one have any more wine then suppose we follow him end of book one chapter three